You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. going to get into the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 is our text today. And if you're new or haven't been with us or this is, you know, your first time, what we've been doing for the last six months or so, every Sunday, with the exception of a few holidays and special Sundays, we've been making our way through this book. It's actually a letter written by Paul the Apostle to this church in Philippi. Uh, we call it the book of Philippians. You can call it the letter of the, uh, to the Philippians. But we've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, just slow. Like the whole, it's not like a chapter a week type of thing. It's like one to five verses a Sunday where we just look at what God is saying through his word, we dig into it, we expound on it, what is it saying, what is it meaning, and then also what does that mean for us today? Because what you should know about this letter that we have preserved in time, right, this piece of antiquity, this is what this is. Like the Bible is historically accurate, it's pieces of literature that's been combined and canonized, and so in this one book we actually have 66 books, and some of these books are actually letters, and Paul's letters in the New Testament are mainly written to either pastors, leaders in the church, a specific church, or just Christians in general. And even though we're stepping back into time, some 2,000 years ago, Paul writing from Rome to this church in Philippi, modern-day Greece, even though that's happening in a very different culture to a very different people group at the time, this is for us today as well. It's the living, active Word of God. And those of us that are in here that consider Jesus our Lord and we're followers of Jesus and you're Christians, um, this is written to us in the same way. It's just as applicable. It's just as relevant. And so I'm going to read Philippians 3, 20 through 21, pray, and then we'll get into it. But again, I'm jumping into a letter. So if it feels like we're jumping into a story or a letter, we are. And so um, I'll try to help us figure out context a bit here. But Paul, speaking to this church in Philippi, in this letter, says this, Philippians 3.20. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this word, your scripture, that we have in our hands, like readily available, that we get to look into the life of Jesus and the attributes of God and the early church. And we, as now a church, some 2,000 years later, get to glean and, and, and learn and be equipped and prayerfully, we would be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus and be more about the kingdom of God as we leave today than when we started. God, thank you that this is meant to be way more than just head knowledge. It's supposed to be a, a time of heart transformation. Literally, that we are supposed to be formed into the image of Jesus. And so help, 
Help me to communicate that, Father, for your glory and your namesake. I pray to be clear. I pray that you would just speak to us exactly what we need to hear this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, citizenship. For the majority of us, our family has a story of becoming, or in process of becoming, U.S. citizens. Right? Unless you're Native American or Native Hawaiian. Um, most of us have the story of immigration. Myself, I am just about 50% Irish, 50% Swedish. More or less. Uh, my dad's side came from Sweden. My mom's side came from Ireland. My mom immigrated. My mom's family immigrated. Both during World War I, about 1915-ish, both sides. Uh, Ireland's side came through Boston, and they just camped there. And so my mom's side is the typical, like, Irish Catholic, like, from Boston. All the stereotypes, the Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, that's all my family, that side. Dunkin' Donuts, all of the parodies, that's it. That's, that's my, that they're still there. So when, when you ask me what my team is, by loyalty's sake alone, I cannot say anything other than a New England team. Celtics, Red Sox, Patriots, I know. I know. I can't, just for the sake of my Irish loyalty to my mom's side. If you know Boston and everything, you know. That is true. My dad's side, from Sweden, came through Ellis Island, through New York, and ended up in Chicago. What's, in, what's really neat, I got to go to Ellis Island probably about 25 years ago now, and I got to kind of learn and see my grandpa's name. And even my last name, Hilner, we always wondered, how did, where did that come from? Because my grandpa's name was Nielsen, and I see it on the plaque here. What's the story? So the story is, whether it's true or not, like my immigration story of citizenship for my family, is that my grandpa, my Swedish grandpa, went through Ellis Island, 1915, as World War I's happening, and they say, what's your name, Nielsen? We have too many Nielsens. Can't. And he's like, what do you mean? Again, this is just me. I don't know if he did this. But this is the story. They said, you can't. Too many Nielsens. Here is the approved Swedish last names you can have. He looks through them. He says, nope, don't want any of them. Like, I know all of them. This is not what I want. So they're like, make one up then. So literally, story of Hilner, last name, is somewhere in line with the people there. Hilner. I'm like, why Hilner? But anyway, that's, that's my story, right? And again, all our families, for the most part, have this immigration story of us to become citizen, citizens of the United States, for a lot of us. Some are still in that process now. We have several in our church. God bless you. I know it's taking a long time. I just was born with it, so I can't imagine going through that. I commend you. But why I bring this up is that for a lot of the world, right, this idea is to become an American citizen. It's much of the world's goal. Like, this is a huge aspiration, and a lot of us are here because parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, right, came to, for maybe there's all the reasons you would think, opportunity and freedom or Better job, like whatever it is, there's many reasons why people do that. We all know this. There's good reasons why you do that. And again, as much as our country has a very complicated, painful, bad history, a lot, it's very imperfect, it's got a lot to grow, we all know this, there is incredible parts to it still of U.S. citizenship. Again, there is much gained or sought after with it. 
And again, it's because there's very much temporal opportunities to thrive. Again, my Irish family, it was like potato famine and World War I in Ireland, so they came. And Swedish family, it's like World War I and cold in Sweden, and let me go. Not that like Boston and Chicago and New York are any warmer, but you know what I mean. Land of opportunity. We all know this. This is why most of us are here. Or our ancestors came here. But for the Christian living in a, any, any citizenship, earthly citizenship of any country you live in, but specifically for U.S. citizens right here, it can be tricky to navigate that we're supposed to be citizens of heaven, but we're also citizens of a, of a nation, like an earthly country. Of any country, right? It can be hard to, to navigate. And for the Christian, what the Bible puts forth as this idea that actually our true citizenship is of heaven, not of earth, sometimes this is like a countercultural idea put forth that it's hard to navigate, that earth is not actually our home. It's not actually the ultimate thing we should strive for. But rather, what Paul is saying today, and what the Bible puts forth is that rather heaven is our real home. And our true and primary citizenship lies to heaven, not of earth. And again, insert your national citizenship there. For many of its, of its being American in this room today, probably. But in context of Paul's letter here, again, I just kind of brought up how we're sitting. But in the context of Paul's letter here to the Philippian church, at the time, this is a Greek city under Roman oppression. This is the time of the Roman Empire, and it was spreading all throughout that region in Europe. And so this was a Roman colony. It was Greek, but it was also Roman. And this is a city largely where Roman citizens and Roman uh, ranking officials would go to retire. They would go to live in this amazing place in Greece, but as a Roman citizen. And so they get the perks of Rome while living in this amazing place. And if you've ever been to Greece or Italy, you understand that outside of Hawaii, I might be biased, but it's a pretty incredible place to live. So, right, these Roman citizens are living in this Greek city, and they're soaking in all of the perks that it means at the time to be a Roman citizen. You are the king of the world at the time. The Roman Empire is the most thriving, like, dominant country in the world at the time. And even the most devout Christian then and now, but then specifically, they're all susceptible and succumbing to loving more of an earthly citizenship than a heavenly one. I mean, this is true of every culture that's good or every time that's good in history that Christians that are supposed to be not of this world but actually live for heaven they're surrounded by opulence and wealth and power and privilege and whatever you name of it of whatever country you're in and even the most devout Christian then and now can struggle with navigating well what are we really living for what are our main values and goals and priorities and what should I ultimately put my time and attention to? So how this plays out, like the brass tacks of it, right? What it practically means to be a citizen of any country is that you live inside the rules of that country. 
Or you're supposed to, right? You live inside of the, with the values and you adopt the priorities of the society. And you know what I mean? Like people say, it's, to be a good citizen is insert what that means for to be a good citizen of a country. And as much as we are called to be good citizens of the nation we live in, what supersedes and is, should be mo- more important to the Christian are the standards, values, and priorities of heaven. So we actually are meant to be both, but citizenship in heaven is supposed to supersede our citizenship of the country we live in. This is where it gets hard to navigate sometimes. It's, it's nuanced. It's, what does that mean? How does that practically play out? So, and, um, so on and so forth. But this is what Scripture tells us. This is like the broad ideas that Scripture puts forth. Number one for Christians, Paul wrote this in another letter to another church in the city of Colossae, Colossians chapter 3. This is what Paul said. Since then you have been raised with Christ, speaking to Christians, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear to him in glory. Again, Paul says, hey, don't be only dwelling upon and living for earthly things, but actually have a heavenly mindset. Dwell upon the things of heaven and of God and of his character. In a few weeks, we're going to get to Philippians chapter 4. Paul again tells us to set our mind on things above. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Again, these are two different letters to two different people, and he's saying the same thing. must be important. We should listen. Again, not Paul, but this time James, which we studied about a year ago or so, would write how short life on earth really is. And James would tell the church, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. Some different translations say your life is but a mist or a vapor. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. For the Christian, you could say, and we we say this in Christianese, like we're just passing through. Our real life is meant to be in heaven. Like this temporal life and all that we accumulate and all that we work for and our families and our friends, it's all temporal and it's all a mist. It's all a vapor. It's here and gone in light of eternity's timeline. And this idea of having a heavenly mindset and living for eternity rather than just everything you can get here and now, all of this should really change the way you see the whole world. Like, till the day we die, this concept should absolutely form and shape the way of the Christian. If you ever have trouble, like, following Jesus in the midst of, like, all this brokenness, remember, like, this isn't even it. Like, it's not even about this. 
We do the best we can to follow and love Jesus and love other people until we see Jesus face to face. That's it. And we try to steward what he's given us the best we can for his glory. Like, that's it every day. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. But again, it's not about here and now. This is not our true citizenship. Heaven is. But again, Paul doesn't stop there in our text. That's just the first couple words. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And he goes on and he says that while we keep our heavenly citizenship mindsets, you know, while we are earthly citizens, we also eagerly await a savior. If you look at our text today, he says that. We are eagerly awaiting a savior to return. What is that? What is he talking about? He's talking about the second coming of Christ. Jesus came. He died. He rose again. The Bible would say that he's coming back. Jesus will come back, and once and for all, he will rule and reign as victorious king he is. And once and for all, he will restore all things. In all things in creation will be back to perfect harmony, free from evil, free from sin, free from pain, and the effects of sin once and for all for good. Like, actually and literally, like, new heaven, new earth, like, it's restored and redeemed. Jesus come back. Like, all this brokenness is gone. Paul says, you, we live as citizens of heaven and eagerly await that Jesus is going to come back and everything that you see is broken, he's going to make right. Without getting too much into eschatology and the study of the end times and the timing and the timeline and the when... That's for another time. But what I want to do is just remind us kind of where we are in this timeline. Because we see in Scripture when Jesus came, it tells us that the kingdom of God broke into the world and things began to change when Jesus came on the scene. Like literally creation started being redeemed. People started giving their lives to Christ. People started to forgiveness of sins. Like, people started to get restored back to a perfect relationship with their Heavenly Father. The world began to be redeemed and renewed. God's kingdom came and is coming. And it continues to come. Right now, Jesus would tell us, how, do we, how are we supposed to pray? Pray that my kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Like, go look at it, Matthew chapter 6. You're like, I don't know how to pray. Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter 6. And one of the things he says is pray for heaven to come on earth. Pray for redemption and renewal and all the brokenness to be healed and be a part of that renewal. And we've seen that. But again, we're not fully there. One day, though, it will be. Jesus will come back and everything that's broken will be made right. And I can't wait for that day. Because the world is really broken. But what part of what Paul specifically brings up here, did you catch what he brings up here? That through God's all-powerful nature, through Christ's return, will transform, he calls our bodies lowly in the text today. It really just means that Christ will, re- will transform our lowly mortal bodies into glorious eternal ones. This is this idea that maybe if you grow up in the church, you joke about, like, when I die and go, see, go to heaven, I'm going to get a, like, glorified bodies. 
Like, I'm going to have a glorified body. This is, this is an actual thing. This is an actual thing. We see in Scripture that whether when we die now or when Jesus comes back, when we see him in heaven, we will receive new, perfect, working bodies free from everything that plagues us. The older you get, the more things will plague you, as you know. And unfortunately, one of the main things in life, this side of heaven that grieves us most, is when bodies of loved ones of ours break down and pass away. It's like the, it's like the, the hardest, can be the hardest, most painful thing this side of heaven is when a loved one passes, right? There's grieving when this mortal, lowly body no longer exists in its form. But what Paul is putting forth here, and what I'm going to show you that others do as well, is that this is not the end of the story, that we actually, in our brokenness, will be renewed and made right, and we'll have glorified bodies that perfectly work, freed from everything that plagues us. In another letter, again, many letters, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul expands on this. He says, For we know that when this earthly tent, speaking of his body, our bodies, for when, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies and we will not be spirits without bodies while we live in these earthly bodies. We while we, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared for us. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Verse 6. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, and then we will be at home with the Lord. Do you see, like what Paul is saying again, home is in heaven, our citizenship's in heaven. Like this is just temporary, and it, we grow weary dealing with all of it. Not only then, but in the book of Revelation, at the very end of our Bible, in chapter 21, we get a picture of what it will be like when God restores all things. And the author John describes it this way. Revelation 21, 3 through 4, John says, I heard a loud shout from the, uh, from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. And he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And what will he do? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no death, no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. This is the hope. This is what we look forward to. This is what Paul to the Philippians says, you eagerly await a Savior, and this is what is coming. But now you live in the tension. 
and constantly live in the tension, and it's really hard. And so Paul is encouraging them to have a heavenly mindset, even though surrounded by earthly brokenness. But again, this idea that I just brought up in 2 Corinthians and Revelation of this idea of a glorified body, this is one of the major reasons why in the midst of grief, when a loved one has been suffering from a disease and passes away, even in the midst of how, how, how hard and how grief-filled that is, the reason why the Christian can be comforted is knowing that their, that person's body is perfectly restored in the presence of Jesus if they knew him. Right? That's why in the midst of, of a brokenness, when you lose a loved one that knew the Lord, you can know that they have now a glorified body and there is no more suffering. Like that's why it's not just cliche to say that as the Christian. That's why you can say that is because the Bible tells us that's what happens. So thankful to Jesus for these truths or else we would be left in our grief, this side of heaven. But again, why does Paul bring this up here? If you've been reading this letter, I can understand why Paul talks about citizenship because of the Roman, Greek, all this stuff. But why does he talk about these glorified bodies all of a sudden? And again, only one can speculate. Like, it honestly could be like an older congregation. He's speaking to people that are like passing away. It could be have members in the church that are passing away due to sickness. I mean, at that time, like medicine, what? You know what I mean? Like this is like first century. Mortality and frailness was even more of a thing, right? Modern medicine has, like, extended our life quite a bit. But if you look at, like, life expectancy back then, it's like, this is probably a real thing you should talk about all the time. Because anyone at any moment can die from even a simple thing. So that's probably a big reason why Paul brings this up. But I think even bigger than that is perhaps Paul just wanting to remind them what life is supposed to be lived for, right? Most of scriptures, like most of the Bible, is warnings and reminders and encouragement to the people of God to not forget and turn from God. Like, don't forget who God is. Don't forget what he's done. And what does like everyone throughout scripture do? They forget. They turn. They think they can do better on their own. They forget what God has done. And so most of the Bible is just dealing with imperfect people just like you and I that are so prone to wander. And so I think in a large way today, Paul is just trying to remind these people in this church like you and I to not forget who God is and what we're supposed to live for and what we're supposed to dwell upon. And so as application, as we kind of wrap up into another set of worship, perhaps today, I know for me, it's a reminder that maybe I need to shift my perspective a bit. Maybe I need to realign my priorities a bit more. Right? Like if we're really supposed to live for the things of heaven, it's supposed to supersede everything on earth. That doesn't mean that we can't work for and have nice things. That doesn't mean that. That's another sermon. 
But what's supposed to supersede everything that we're a part of on this earth are the things of heaven and the kingdom of God. And that's really what we're supposed to live for. And then everything else is supposed to be filtered through that. I don't know about you, but that's like I'm lovingly convicted by the Lord to re-examine my own life. And where can I be a better citizen of heaven, so to speak? Um, for a long time, I did youth ministry the very beginning, um, my wife and I, uh, for probably like all our 20s, actually teens into 20s. And I remember when I first started doing youth ministry, and at that age, I mean, <laughs> you know, you're just, I don't know what you're living for at that age when you're high school. You're just fun and friends and cool. And, and so the, the question I would bring up quite a bit when I started youth ministry some 20 years ago now, and I presented this often to the rim of middle schoolers and high schoolers at the time, like almost weekly, was I, I proposed this question to them. I, I, I would say everything in life is a choice. You choose how to live your life. You have a lot of autonomy, even though you feel like you don't feel like that in your house right now. You have incredible autonomy to choose how you live your life. Every day and every year, it's all a choice. So how will you choose to live your life? Will you solely choose to live for what you can get out of the 80 years you're here? If you're lucky, 80? Like, is that it? You're just living for what you can get for 80? Or are you living for eternity? 80 or eternity. And live every day with that choice. Choose one, stick to it, and just wake up sticking to that choice. And your life will be, I mean, if you choose to live for the kingdom of God, will be radically used by God for the glory of God. Again, choose to live for what you can get here and now and as much as it and what feels good. It's like, I'll tell you where that's going to go. <laughs> it's proven. This, this, is, this is proven. So what I want to do for us today, even though not all of you in here are middle and high schoolers, we do have youth today, so there you go. But what is our main goal in life? What is most important to us? Like family and security and a good job. Those are all good things. That's, you can do that too, absolutely. But what's the main goal? As a Christian, it should be more than that. It should be the way of Jesus through the kingdom of God, through the attributes of God, through the way of God. So I want to encourage us and challenge us this year. Choose one. And live that way until you go see Jesus or he returns a second time. And that is it. Just choose the way of Jesus daily. Choose the citizenship over heaven, over anything on earth. And you will be blown away on the ways in which Jesus speaks to you, leads you, uses you, and provides for you. And so church, let's pray. Let's enter into worship. And let's um, worship God. God, we thank you for this lovingly, uh, loving reminder of really what life's all about and where we sit in it. And Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for all my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray that we would choose the way of Jesus. I pray that we would be more about our Father's business, the kingdom of God, than the things of this earth. Would you help us to practically navigate what that means and how that plays out 
with our time and our talent and our treasure, our priorities, our goals, our dreams. God, we want to submit them to your will and your kingdom. God, we want to surrender living for ourselves, and we want to live for you. We want to love God and love people to the best of our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, help us this morning as we uh, continue to worship to really dwell and ponder these things and be changed and be more like you. We love you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.